of us presented by pop culture leftovers i'm brian and we're going to be breaking down episode one i'm not alone i've got other hosts on the show joe welcome joe hey stoked to be here and we've got melissa sloter from the wild things podcast welcome melissa hello thank you for having me Billy from The Reality Guys, happy to have you, man. And Joe and myself, we're from Pop Culture Leftovers. And uh, yeah, we're going to be breaking down episode one, When You're Lost in the Darkness. Uh, 20 years after a fungal outbreak ravages the planet, survivors Joel and Ellie are tasked with a mission that could change everything. The show is created by Neil Druckmann, the guy who created the game for Naughty Dog. And Craig Mazine, who is also the showrunner on another HBO show that I absolutely loved. Fantastic show, Chernobyl, that miniseries that came out a couple years ago. But uh, yeah, we're going to be breaking down episode one. But at first, before we jump into everything, want to know what your relationship is with The Last of Us, if any. And then find out what you thought about this episode. I'll, I'll start. I have very limited experience with this. I, of course, know that it's a big hit for Naughty Dog, and I know it's a big hit with gamers. I have never personally played the game. I've watched gameplay. I watched my nephew play the game for a couple hours, and I was just like, this game is amazing. It was a lot of fun to watch, but it's nothing that I have any experience with at all personally. So I was super excited when I started hearing news of a show uh, once they started doing the casting and they got uh, Pedro Pascal and uh, what's the girl's name? She's Bella Ramsey in Game of Thrones. She's fantastic. Yeah, that's the actor's name, Bella Ramsey. They're Bella Ramsey in real life. That's her name in real life? Oh, she was uh, Dora... Who was her name in... uh, Yeah, yeah, what was there? Lady Mor- uh, Mormont. Lady Mormont. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh my, my-, bla- my brain was so blank. <laughs> Leanna or Brianna, Leanna, something like that. That's right. Yeah, because she was named after Ned Stark's sister. Yeah, I thought she was fantastic in that show. And I, I love Pedro Pascal. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, this show actually has the potential with it being on HBO of being really good as opposed to a lot of the other video game adaptations that we've seen in the past with like resident evil so i was really excited about this one uh joe do you have any experience with the last of us none at all this is just watching this pilot episode was the most experience i've had with it i've heard it like kind of briefly discussed on different podcasts and stuff like that so i was familiar with it insofar as i knew it was kind of like a a different take on the uh, post-apocalyptic zombie story and I, I knew it was a, a lone wolf and cub type story and that it was really really immensely popular 
but but outside of that, no, I'm I'm fairly new to this. I have no idea where the story's going to go. I'm so new to this. I, I have I, I have no experience with Bella Ramsey. It sounds like I, I thought that that was her. <laughs> I thought that was her name in Game of Thrones for crying out loud. It just sounds <laughs> like a Game, Game of, of it, Thrones name. It sounds like a Game of Thronesy name, doesn't it? Oh, totally. Oh my god. Go home, Brian. You're well, drunk. Ramsey is a Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, Melissa, what's your experience? I do not have any. I knew the things that you all knew about the show going in, um, especially once the casting started happening, especially since Pedro Pascal is doing something sort of similar on Mandalorian. Um, I was super hyped about the show because I've enjoyed a lot of post apocalypse Galypse content the last couple of years. I was a huge fan of Station Eleven last year and a huge fan of Why the Last Man um, two years ago, and then that got canceled. So I'm excited to have something kind of not exactly similar, but in that vein, I'm excited to have back on the TV. Yeah. Billy, talk to me, man. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like uh, I may have the most experience here with The Last of Us. So I definitely played it originally when it released for the PS3 back in 2013 um, and, but haven't revisited since. So remember obviously major story beats, et cetera, but really not in depth. However, and like you guys know, make the audience aware, I decided to download the remaster for the PlayStation five about a week ago. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to systematically just play a little bit ahead of the show so that, I don't have to super rely on because I don't like to go onto other people's coverage and try to pull my own Easter eggs and stuff that I'm noticing because literally I've been maybe have played that scene or scenes a few days prior. So already first week through, it's been a really cool experience so far. And I think as the drama continues to pick up throughout the season, I think it's going to be a really cool way to earnestly do Easter eggs and comparisons. Another thing I'd like to point. No, I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. I'm glad that you're playing the game that way, uh, kind of like with the show as it goes. I think that that's pretty awesome. Um, another thing I'd like to reveal is I didn't even watch a single trailer for the show going in. I was, oh, that's awesome. I had confidence just, you know, even with it being a video game adaptation to the screen, I was like, I've got confidence in, in Pedro Pascal joining a, a, a project here like this. And, and uh, I've got confidence in HBO that they're going to want to put out something good. And, um, I was just, I guess for me, not playing like being a game player and having that attachment, uh, even if it veered from the game, I think I still had like the potential to really enjoy the show because I, it, it's not so beholden to me. Uh, but I, I guess everything I'm hearing online is a lot of people that play the game are still very happy with the outcome of this first episode. Is that what you guys are saying, Billy? Is that what you're saying? Oh, no. I mean, for sure. I mean, we'll dive into it as we go. But there are literal scene for scene, line for line adaptations. Anything that they change, then we'll kind of discuss, like I said, I think is to add to the story or – uh, makes more sense for like a visual medium as far as a show versus playing a video game and maybe just a couple of things for like eagle eyed watchers, even like myself or people who are 
obsessed with the game and played it dozens of times, I'm sure, to kind of subvert their expectations just a little bit to make it fun for everyone. Because Neil Druckmann, the the game runner, the, the game runner, the person who wrote The Last of Us Part One and Part Two, the two games in the series, is one of the executive producers on the show. So you literally have the guy that wrote the game involved in producing this, so he knows it better than anyone. That's awesome. I, uh, do you think that they'll keep him on for future seasons? Yeah, that guy loves money. That dude loves <laughs> money. Neil Druckmann, and I know the super fans Good are laughing him. right now, but that dude loves himself. One, he loves himself some money, and Neil Druckmann loves himself some Neil Druckmann. So, like, that dude wants his name on as many things as possible. But, again, and there's a lot of, you know, super fans that hate around, like, in other parts of the games and things like that. But for all intents and purposes, I mean, this The Last of Us is a masterpiece. And it is a great game to play, but it's not the gameplay. It is the story. It's the relationship between Joel and Ellie at its core. And I think they really started to already highlight this. And obviously with the allusions to his daughter as well. And that will obviously continue. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I guess we can jump into the episode. Oh, no, Jake this week. We have another host, Jake. He is not here this week, could not make it, but will be joining us next week. So... Uh, let's talk about the episode. It starts off, I mean, we get three different time periods. The first one here is 1968. We've got two, uh, epidemiologists. I think I pronounced that right. Yep. Talking about pandemics. Um, and we've got, uh, actor John Hanna, uh, as Dr. Newman, he's on a talk show and he's explaining how pandemics work and why we shouldn't be afraid of bacteria or viruses, but fungi, and uh, talks about climate change and uh, basically saying, you know, that fungi can't uh, can't take over a host that's above 94 degrees. But with climate change, they could evolve. And if that were to happen, um, if the he says, what if, for instance, the world were to get slightly warmer and, uh, you know, um, Goes into viruses make you ill. Funguses can actually alter your mind. Talks about the ant being taken over by the the fungus, which I've seen that in nature, and it is terrifying. If you've ever seen videos of fungus taking over ants, um, it's terrifying. It is the creepiest shit you've ever seen. It's like um, uh, it's like a horror movie come to life in nature. Oh yeah, and the the other na- the other ants will recognize it in that ant scent, and they will carry it far away from the the nest or mound or whatever, so that it dies far away. Mm-hmm. Because once once all these sprouts like come out of the ant's body, they erupt with spores everywhere, and any other ant that's touched by one of those spores is thusly affected as well or infected as well. It is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It, it really did. Did it creep you out? It creeped me out. Him talking about that, like yes, yes. Oh my god! Especially when he started talking about how like we always win against viruses. I was like, okay, well, I feel like you're splitting hairs a little bit. And so what we're talking about here is very, very, very serious. I mean, they're hitting you over the head with the virus, and they're also yep. obviously hitting you with the climate change stuff. And it works because it's already happened. Right. I mean, it may be in especially the virus stuff may be like some people may say like a cheap hit because it's easy, low hanging fruit. However, this game came out in 2013. You know what I mean? This is again, the scene didn't happen, but a lot of these illusions do happen throughout the game of like what kind of fostered this being possible. 
And it's just scary because it's indiscriminate, right? This isn't, mm-hmm. these aren't even zombies infecting other zombies initially. It's, it's just like some mushrooms that just naturally grew and just hit that temperature and hit that evolutionary point right at that moment. And just pretty quickly, the whole world goes to hell in a handbasket. And it's just scary. And it's, there's, you can't put a face to it. And, that's what makes that so chilling to me compared to even some of the other post-apocalyptic stuff that we watch and get to consume every year in pop culture. Yeah. Um, I don't, sorry. No, go ahead. I don't know if the game does this. It doesn't seem like any of what I'm about to say is like the point of the story, but do we know how much the infected like are aware of what's happening to them? Because another one of the scary things in this, just this first opening scene was talking about how the, the fungus's goal is to control the people. So it's not just that you get sick and you cease to be here, but you do things, <laughs> which is one of the scariest parts of this to me is that if you get infected, it's a death sentence. And also there is this period of time where you're not in control of yourself. Yeah, I think, I mean, they kind of, we do have the scene with like the old woman and that kind of gives you kind of an idea. I mean, her case is a little extreme because that's like somebody who was probably close to death before that. But mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that at least in the game, and I think we'll see throughout the series, you definitely will see people in the varying stages of the infection and definitely some people that are, you would like say like freshly infected and you would seem way more human than infected, oh. but almost kind of like diseased or shook yeah. almost like they were in like a trance but yeah i think once it takes hold they're they're not themselves anymore they're not feeling any feelings or remorse of what they're doing it's like they said it's just a host body at that point yeah the potential of that is like so fucking scary to me <laughs> yeah he literally says that it doesn't kill you it keeps its puppet alive and it says, could become capable of bur- burrowing into our brains and taking control. Not millions of us, but billions of us. Um, and then when asked, like, you know, if, if we could win, uh, he says it's, it's basically incurable. If that happens, we lose. And so it's just saying, like, there's no cure and humanity will lose. It's like, the scene really sets up the show. It's it's like we've already lost. There's no hope. And I, I've just never seen like a post-apocalyptic um, scenario like this with the fungus. That's what blew me away. Because like when you watch the zombie stuff, typically you don't know the reason. You just know it spreads. But it's never like a – it's never been – I've never seen it as a fungus before, which I think that makes this so much different. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've seen lots of different zombie stories, and I've never heard anything about a fungus being the cause. It does make this extremely unique. Very smart idea from this writer that they were able to pick up on that, because um, I think they were inspired by a, a, a nature documentary showing you know those ants and wasps and stuff, and they just kind of put that away in the back of their mind, and they're like, wow, what if that was the cause of a zombie outbreak? Great idea. I also I also appreciate just the little detail of like this being in the 60s, late 60s, 1968, and the hosts are smoking on the show. You know, the <laughs> yeah, totally. guests are that smoking. Was a product of its time. The giant yellow ashtrays. Well, I I mean I every once in a while, uh, you know, I've caught episodes of old game shows on the Game Show Network, and 
you've got contestants and the host smoking. And it's like, what? A, how wild is this? And then they show you like an advertisement on the episode for like, you know, buying a carton of cigarettes or something. You're just like, what in the world? So <laughs> this was very much of its time. Um, you're talking like back in the day where you could smoke on an airplane, you know? Oh, what a weird world, man. I always think that every time I watch Jaws and they're smoking in the hospital. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's like the last place you want to be having the cigarette. <laughs> what was it? Was it an SNL sketch when when somebody was in the hospital or something? I can't remember. And and uh, I think like the doctor just like he's like, oh, just take a cigarette. And, you know, you'll need just you just need more cigarettes. It's like, oh, my gosh. It's so true. People. <laughs> <laughs> People were smoking everywhere. Nobody knew it was cancer. Um, we get the intro, and it's – I thought the intro was awesome. Um, is the music from the intro, is that from the actual video game itself? Yeah, it's by Gustavo Santolala. He also did the music in the game. Awesome. Yeah, like you basically, basically see the fungus spreading, and it almost reminds you of like looking at a – like a, a map and the fungus, the spreading to different cities. And then the fungus, as it like grows up, it actually looks like um, buildings and uh, skyscrapers and cities itself. And then when it finally lands on the final scene in the intro, there's two pieces of fungus that pop up that actually look like Ellie and Joel standing. So I, I was, I was blown away by the intro. I thought it was very creative. I really oh, yeah, like it too. Great. I feel bad because my first thought was like, "Oh, hot D wishes it had an intro this good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, because and, and it is kind of reminiscent of that too, where it's this you know thing spreading or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this one actually looks good, whereas the the hot D one, no matter how many times I watched it, I was still kind of like, Ugh, "It doesn't work for me." Yeah, no matter how many explainers I read, I am not convinced. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one on that. <laughs> I guess before we just get into like the, the jump into the 2003 storyline, um, without diving too much into the episode, I want to know what you guys thought about it. Um, Melissa, what did you think about the first episode? I loved this episode so much. I was a little apprehensive when I saw the length of the episode because I just don't really like my TV to be 90 minutes, but I think that they use their time so wisely here to set up the stakes the world that we're in, the journey Joel's on, and there's so much just great character work done for everyone in the show, including, you know, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I thought with Sarah, I was like, such a great actor, and I was like, she's not even going to be in the rest of the series. It was kind of sad to say goodbye to that character. Mm-hmm. So, because I thought she was... though, she'll be around, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm glad they let us just, you know... I want to say luxuriate, but not really, because there's just ramping anxiety the whole time. But I'm mm-hmm. glad they let us really spend some quality time with that character. Yeah, um, we follow that character quite a bit. It almost felt like with the hour and 25 minutes, if it would have been just the same storyline the entire time, um, maybe it would have been a little too much. But I felt mm-hmm. like with them doing this, like a, like a lot of the story based in 2003 – and then switching over into like the post-apocalyptic side of it 20 years later, that it worked. It just worked for me. The, the hour and 25 minutes didn't bother me at all. I do think that this this 
the content in this episode was originally scheduled to be two episodes and then they changed it. And the fact that I think that that was such a good choice really gives me a lot of faith in the people that are creating this show. Yeah, I think they have the episode links for the next two episodes up on IMDb. Uh, and they they are shorter. Um, Joe, what did you think? This episode was was absolutely perfect. I, I went into this completely blind. I also didn't watch any trailers for the show going in. And so I really didn't know what to expect. And that cold opening with the 1968 part was I, it was it was chilling. And then going into the stuff in 2003 and giving you the backstory on this character and showing you his daughter. Just absolutely, it goes from heartwarming to heartbreaking and then goes into just this desolate dystopian future of what the world is like now and and how hard people have to live and just the reality of this life. And I mean, this this episode, it's, it's feature length and it has everything in it that you could want. I mean, this this episode brought me to tears. It had moments where I was fist pumping and cheering, had moments where I was covering my mouth in horror what this is this is the way that you start a show and hook people and bring them in along for the ride because i don't know how you could watch all you know nearly 90 minutes of this first episode and then not want season or episode two immediately this was a very very eye-catching and emotionally charged episode of television that made it impossible for me to not want to return to this world as horrifying and bleak as it is I just kept thinking, first off, I loved the episode. I thought it was fantastic. They did so much setup inside the quarantine zone, letting you know, like, how things are run and letting you know, we're going to jump into all this stuff, like the fireflies, all that stuff, only to leave it. And now we're just walking into the unknown of, like, I feel like they're going to be going on, like, this journey, and we don't know who they're going to come across. We don't know the people that they're going to meet. We don't know what dangers are out there. We've heard that there's, you know, it's it's savage, that there's um, uh, uh, slavers out there, that it's it's just brutal. But I, for all this setup, and then we leave the quarantine zone, and now we're just left to the unknown of, like, you know, what's going to happen while they're out there. I, I I loved it. I cannot wait. I thought the acting was spectacular. I really enjoyed, you know, watching Sarah and then seeing how different um, a child that's been raised in this is. I mean, she was born after this happened. So she's been raised in this. So there's going to be a difference between children pre to children pre pandemic to post pandemic. Um, I'm, I'm just, I've got a lot of hopes for this series and I'm very excited. Billy, what did you think? I mean, I concur with everyone. This was a masterfully done pilot an awesome hour and 20 minutes of television. I think they really just did a great job of encapsulating what really the last of us is really about. Obviously there's the post-apocalyptic setting. There's the fungi, like you said, and you're, what you're kind of talking about, it's it's the loss of humanity. Like what happens when we lose what we consider to be civilization, what we consider to be our day to day reality as what we consider ourselves as humans or like what really are humans. And, you know, I think it does strike a chord with us all now because we did go through the pandemic and 
obviously it was horrible for a lot of people, but for a lot of people, it was a lot of just isolation, but seeing like how much and how quickly you could lose what we call our creature comforts or just our freedoms. And this is that times a thousand. And just the symbolism throughout the cinematography was amazing. And again, for someone like myself, it literally just played this through a few days prior and for it to still have me hooked the entire time. And again, we'll go through and we go through step by step, but some of the subversions it's I'm sold. I mean, I'm completely sold. I think anybody who was skeptical going in is completely sold. And that's a tough thing to do. And like you said, Brian, my favorite thing about post apocalyptic content is the characters like Ellie who literally know nothing else than growing up in a post apocalyptic world. And them kind of like the scene where she's sitting by the window and saying, like, I've never seen anything that dark because they've never been outside of a quarantine zone. It's those type of things that you don't think about. And it's that's the type of stuff I think that's really going to hit home throughout this series for people. It won't be the crazy zombies and some of the crazy events that will unfold. I think it's going to be those small moments. And that's why I really like the pilot. Yeah, it was a masterful pilot. It really was great. Um and we start uh, after uh, the um, opening credits. We, we're in a town in Texas. Do we actually know where they are in Texas? Austin. Austin, yeah. They are in Austin. Okay. Um, it's Joel's birthday, uh, played by Pedro Pascal. Um, his daughter, Sarah, played by Nico Parker. And um, we've also introduced to his brother, uh, Tommy, played by Gabriel Luna. And, um, a lot of like, as we're, as we are watching this first part of the story kind of unfold, there's all these other things that are going on throughout this part that kind of like allude to this pandemic has already started right under our noses and nobody knows they're talking about on the radio. There's a disturbance in Jakarta. And then the family starts talking about, they don't know where Jakarta is maybe somewhere in Asia. And then she lets them know that it's actually in Indonesia. And then, and then later on in the episode, they're talking about how there's, you know, there's, there's all these things going on violence. There's police out in the streets and, and it might be this new drug that people are taking. They don't know what is going on. And, even in her classroom, the kid that was, you know, getting her attention by moving his hand and hitting mm-hmm. her in the face mm-hmm. with like the light reflection reflection mm-hmm. off their medical bracelet that was hitting her in the face. I feel like that kid was twitching because the kid has already been infected. For sure. Oh, that makes so much sense. I was thinking that that was just like thematic to like her thinking about the watch or whatever. But your idea is way better. So I, yeah, I think it was hand tremors that were yeah. part of like the, the yeah, first stages of infection. Yeah. And they, they were talking, you know, like in the episode, they were talking about how like it probably was people were getting this from going into the city. And so, I mean, it's it's going to make it's yeah, it could start in big cities, but it's going to make its way everywhere. There's no way to stop this. And we find that out in this episode. I just thought it was masterfully done. Um, I loved the dynamic between Sarah and her dad. It was almost like it didn't feel like a father and daughter relationship at first. It, it To me, it felt like he works. She knows she's got responsibilities at home and they didn't always talk like father and daughter. It was like they were just kind of like it was more like it felt like brother and sister at times. Yeah. 
like like really more like they were like partners taking on this world together. <laughs> yeah, there's there's allusions in the game that he, and he will I'm sure this will come up, but he wasn't the most present father. And that's a big kind of driving force in his motivations, kind of with his interactions with Ellie in that relationship. I felt like, yeah, he works. We knew in this episode that we, we know he works a lot. It's his birthday. He's talking about coming home at nine, doing a double shift, coming back at nine. And he ends up coming back at 10 o'clock, forgets the cake completely. And it was really important to her. It was more important to her than I think it was to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a certain age you get where you just don't give a shit about celebrating a birthday anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. And he's he's thirty six. He's thirty six. I stopped. Thirty six. Yeah. Pedro Pascal is not thirty six in those scenes. That was pretty funny. He works a hard drywall job. Like it does not bother me because I love this casting. You know, I think it's fine. But I did laugh when he said that. I think also what's interesting to note is that it takes place in 2003, but the game actually takes place in 2013, the year the game released. So the Easter eggs as far as like the timeline stuff, which would be really cool to see because it will be different. So I just think it connects with the audience watching at home, maybe a a little bit more to see them when they do jump ahead 20 years to have it be in our present time, I, Mm -hmm. I, I guess. No, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I think that's why the same kind of thought process they had with the game is like, what if we had it originally take place like right now? You know what I mean? And that is the same type of thing. So I think that, but it is like an interesting little change that they did make. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy shows up, they're going to go to work and we see uh, on the back of Tommy's truck, he's got a bumper sticker that says uh, Operation Desert Storm Combat Veteran. So it's basically giving us a clue here that we know why this guy is going to be so good at using a rifle later on in the episode. I mean, he's a combat veteran. And so he's good at weapons and survival. And so he's going to be set up, you know, he's going to be set up a little bit better than maybe some of the other people you know 20 years from now as a survivor oh absolutely he's got a skill set that's going to be able to get used there's also something i mean obviously there's character development when you find out that someone has combat experience but for this character specifically i think that you can tell immediately when shit hits the fan that he's very like hierarchy driven because he's the one that's like joel what are we doing like i'm the one with the gun but you're the one calling the shots So I think that that's going to end up pretty important for that character. That's a very good point that he needs somebody to give him orders to for what to do around there. Um, They allude to they allude to that exact same thing later in the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing I liked about this first scene with them is when they're all hanging out in the kitchen and they're listening to the radio and there's a little bit of a blurb saying that there's disturbances in Jakarta and they're urging um, you know, citizen, American citizens to get out of there as soon as they can. And then the brothers have this discussion about where Jakarta actually is. And Sarah's the one who comes in and answers it. And you just tell that she's the, the, it's not that the brothers are dumb, but they just don't have the level of book smarts that, that Sarah has. And I, I just love how, how mature it shows her in these first scenes of the game. I mean, it really shows that she does, have this level of intelligence about her, even though she is so young. 
she has the emotional intelligence to understand that like her dad isn't going to fix his watch. You know, he's not going, and it's not about the money. Mm -hmm. She takes the money from him to do this nice thing for him. Um, she knows he's not going to take a moment to like celebrate his life, get himself a birthday cake and all that. Um, and she like makes fun of him for asking her if she did her homework, which I loved as a person who always did my homework as a child. (laughs) I thought it was a, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I thought it was a funny Easter egg in the game. A big part of the game is like scavenging and you really like it's one of those games kind of like a, maybe like a Resident Evil where you don't have a lot of ammo at your disposal and you have to really scrounge around. And one of the big things you do in the game is just go through a bunch of drawers in abandoned houses. So I think that was a little clever nod that she goes in there and she takes money out of a drawer. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, she. so yeah, I, when she was taking the watch to get fixed... It was a total swerve for me. I thought she was going to uh, a pawn shop to sell it. That's what I thought at first as well. Mm-hmm. The, the, I was like, well, what does she need this money for? That She's taking money and taking this watch. Is she going to sell it? Is it for something nefarious? What's going on? And then it ends up being for something so sweet and kind-hearted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, even though uh, there was the woman in the, in the, in the clock shop that uh comes out and she's in she's panicked and she's wanting to close the store early and she tells her to go home so like um i you know people are 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 now starting to realize that there's something serious happening we need to get out of here and close ranks yeah uh let's talk about when sarah goes to the adler's house so we've got Mr. and Mrs. Adler and then Grandma Adler, and she's there. Mrs. Adler's making cookies, and there's that moment where Sarah's left in the room with Grandma Adler, and... Oh, and she's looking through the DVDs on the shelf? Uh-huh. And oh, man. Grandma Adler's blurred out in the background. Her mouth starts to open. Just weirdo shit in it, the background. That was scary. It was, it was scary. <laughs> And you just know that the fungus is in her and it's hungry. And then the dog starts whimpering. The dog knows something's wrong. And oh my God, that, that part really creeped me out. Gotta listen to the animals. Yeah. And that's what I was just going to say too, is like, pay attention to what your animals, how your animals are acting. Like, especially with the next scene here, like I, I I don't know, but I I guess I can wait till we get there. But this scene right here was it was perfect horror because the lady's not in focus behind her. Sarah's the one in focus, and so it's possible that some viewers even missed that because it's just such a subtle thing happening in the background. But yeah, this lady has totally been infected, and it's starting to take root now. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it was it was a super creepy scene. It just remind me of like watching like a James Wan horror movie or something. It was very creepy. Um, and then we're, you know, he gets uh, Joel gets home late. Uh, he had to work a double shift and they start watching this movie called Curtis and the Viper 2, which I found it's an actual Easter egg from The Last of Us Part 2. Ellie says that Joel is into a movie called Curtis and the Viper 2. And so they kind of just threw that in there. Um, Ellie, uh, Sarah falls asleep, excuse me. And then Joel gets a call from Tommy, who's in jail, wanting him to, you know, 
bond him out of jail on his birthday. I felt bad for the guy. Like, fuck it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just know this is not the first time. Yeah, totally not the first time. (laughs) Because he, when he answers the phone, hello, he says, I'm fine, but I am in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he leaves, Sarah wakes up, sees that Joel's gone, and she then sees the neighbor's dog at the door. And she's trying to bring Mercy back to her neighbor's house, the Adler's. And Mercy's not having it and just runs off. Um, Slips her collar off even. Yeah. Like that dog is saying, fuck that. I, you cannot even take me by force back into to, what is the dog's house? Uh-huh. The place it should be most comfortable going back to. Yeah. Sarah then goes to the neighbor's house. And the scene that we see at the Adler's mm-hmm. when we get there. Oh, my God. We've got instantly she sees blood on the floor. And then Mr. Adler, who's like up in the corner, laying, laid up in the corner, uh, played by Brad Leland, who I loved him as Buddy Garrity on Friday Night Lights, the series. Um, he's saying, help me as he's bleeding. And then there's this quick dart of his eyes over to his left. He's basically saying, look over there, help me. And you see Grandma Adler just eating on Mrs. Adler. And she lifts her head and we see like the, like, what are they, like fungus tendrils or something? Yeah, yeah, like fungus tendrils coming out of her mouth. It's gross as fuck, man. I'm so shook that I didn't realize that that was Buddy Garrity. You know, Garrity Automotive. Yeah. Yeah, that was. That just blew my mind. Wasn't he fantastic on Friday Night Lights? Oh, he's the best. Then he becomes like he's the super booster for the team. Then when they go to the West Dillon, then he's like their super booster. He's got yeah. the restaurant. Like, yeah, he was awesome. And now he's just fungus fodder in this first episode. And I was kind of like upset because I love the actor. But uh, yeah, he's in eyes full heart. <laughs> he's yeah, he's taken out of this show almost immediately. And so, uh, yeah, she gets, she just gets the hell out of Dodge. She gets out of the house and then Tommy comes flying up and they, Joel gets out of the truck. He's like, get in the truck. And we see grandma Adler just running out of the house. Does the fungus kind of, when she's running out of the house before she falls, was that the fungus like, um, transforming her like I, f- I mean it definitely gave her a certain measure of vitality back because she mm-hmm. was catatonic in a wheelchair and now she's up and running i didn't know if she tripped over something or if the fungus was like actually changing her structure and that happened and that that caused her to fall on the ground in front of the house i Maybe. took it as this fungus makes people so so focused on getting another victim that, you know, there's no people have this. Most people have this, you know, innate need for self-protection, but I think these people who are hosts don't have any of that. And so Mm -hmm. they just run like an absolute bull in a China shop, you know, bouncing off walls, tripping over shit. 
uh, they're just singularly focused on going in a straight line to whatever their victim is, regardless of what's in the way. Okay. Yeah. I read it similarly, but I kind of maybe like I, I do think in a sense that she may have tripped. I do think like, yeah, the host takes over and obviously, you know, does whatever it does, strengthens her enough or does like the nervous system enough or tricks the body to think it's okay. But I could also think like, yeah, Joe, they tell him to go one speed, all go. But like that body is still like, like that's where super I was frail. At. And I think it like overused the shitty host body, right? Like it's just like unlucky mushroom got it yeah yeah exactly like a strong dude you know like like, pushed her past the breaking point that's how i that makes sense that makes sense pushing her to run so fast like probably tendons are snapping or muscles are ripping away from bone even yeah that makes sense yeah i i yeah that makes sense that's that's what i think we that's what i think we saw here yeah that's god just the details right Oh yeah, it will that and it's gnarly. I don't Nothing want these mushroom sp- zombies to be able to run fast. <laughs> well, I don't want any zombies to run fast. Right. Fast right. zombies. <laughs> I remember the, the first time I saw it was 28 days yes. later or something like that. Yes. That was the first time I saw fast zombies and I was like, "Oh fuck that. These things are scary enough when they shamble along at a slow pace, but to actually be able to fucking run fast." And and I said that out loud as soon as that happened in this, I was like, oh no, they're fucking fast zombies. <laughs> fast zombies. <laughs> fast zombies. Oh god. Trained Busan was another one that ramped it up with the fast zombies. That one's been on my list for so long, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie, the reason I haven't gotten to it yet is because I'm sure it's gonna scare the shit out of me. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Please tell me Melissa, have you seen Train to Busan? I haven't seen it. I'm kind of with Joe. It's been on my list for a while. It's just it's hard to pick that movie when I'm sitting down to watch something, you know? I don't know because I fucking love it. Yeah, yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> Joe does. <laughs> I like. Yeah, no, I totally relate to that. Like, Yeah. I like being ugh. scared personally. I love being scared. That's why I love going to haunted houses. I love being scared. The scarier, the I better. I like to see scary movies in the theater because there's like a strict delineation of time spent being scared and then traveling home and not being scared if i watch a scary movie in my house i run the risk of staying scared in my house oh <laughs> uh, i love that i love that feeling I, I turn off all the lights and make me so scared that i do not want to go to sleep i love it <laughs> i hate waking up at three in the morning and then trying to go back to bed and then thinking about it <laughs> that, that's when when i really regret having watched something scary I'm like, stupid, overactive imagination. You're 42. Knock this shit off. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Adler doesn't stop. She keeps running. And the only thing Joel can do in this moment is take that huge pipe wrench and just jack her in the face and kill her. And Mm -hmm. Sarah is just like, you killed her and starts getting really emotional. I mean, I can't blame her. It's what and he he starts to say, like, this is happening everywhere. It's not just here. It's happening everywhere. We've got to get out of here. And they drive off in the truck. Um, we start seeing all these things going on around them. There's like a, a farmhouse that, of people that they knew and their house is just burning to the ground. Mm-hmm. We see these huge uh, airplanes flying overhead, very low to the ground. Um, just things are in chaos and they're – trying to get into they're trying to get to another town so they're trying to take a take a a road there they notice that everybody else is doing the same thing so they go off road um 
as they're doing that, they're talking about like how uh, the Adlers have been going into the city for treatments and things like that. And that's how they probably brought it back. Sari's worried that maybe she's infected, maybe they're infected because they've spent so much time over there. And they're trying to reassure that, you know, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, they eventually go off road into like the grass, into the ground and they're driving and, um, they, well, they pass a, a, a family with a, with a child stranded on the road. And Joel says something like, no, don't stop. Someone else will come along. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's oh, like, Tommy's like, they have a child. And he's like, so do we. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just self-preservation. Like what did. But it didn't make me feel good about Joel. No, no, it didn't. Because you you are the people who are coming along, <laughs> you know. And if you're not worried about you being infected, you'd think that they'd he'd have a heart for someone else that's stranded on the side of a row with a kid. And well, and I'm thinking back to like when he takes out Grandma with the wrench. I don't know. There's not a right answer. There was never a right answer, but it may have been like less traumatizing to everybody if he would have had Tommy take her out with the gun instead, because that's way less personal. And then Sarah wouldn't have like effectively seen her dad beat someone to death and compounding that with him saying, like, leave that other family, that other kid behind. It's like. I appreciate that Joel has a one track mind and that track mind is protecting his own people, but this is a very, very early stage in this to like lose the ability to care for others. So it's kind of hard and kind of scary to watch someone take that, make we, those choices. The thing is we don't know what happened to the mother, correct? Like it might be we something don't. in the game and maybe they, he lost her in a way that we don't know about. And all he has left is Sarah. And so yeah. I, I think that this does kind of set up a later scene. I totally get what you're saying, Melissa, but I'm also trying to find I'm also trying to be devil's advocate a little bit and like mm-hmm. try to like fill in like what we don't know and why may he, he may have reacted that way. And she's, you know, him and her and Tommy might be all he has left. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way I'm reading it is that this is is him being a protective father. The people that he care the most about in this world are in that truck with him. Mm-hmm. He literally just saved his daughter from – if he'd have gotten there 10 seconds later, he'd have been watching his daughter get killed instead. And so I don't know. I, I, I hate to say it, but I feel like if I were in that situation where I was protecting my children, like anybody I don't know, yeah, get the fuck out of the way. And if you don't get the fuck out of the way, I'm going to tell my brother Tommy to run your ass over. And he said – this is happening everywhere. We don't know what him and Tommy ran into when he yeah. tried to go to the police station to bail him out. That process might have never happened. He might just had to have – he might have had to kill some you know, of these zombies as he got his brother out of jail. We don't know what happened there. So he yeah, might I mean, have – They show up. Tommy's got a rifle. He's got that giant monkey wrench in his hand. Yeah. And they're ready for business Yeah, when they show up. So that whole scene in the truck was incredibly effective for me. The way it was filmed mm-hmm. in that first person point of view from Sarah's point of view in the back of the truck, like it, it tra- triggered my anxiety like nothing. And it just builds and builds and builds and gets more and more intense as it goes. The soundtrack yeah. has like a ticking element to it. And you can just like feel the score is building. The action on screen is building to like something happening. 
You they, know it's going to be bad. Oh yeah, yeah. The, everything, everything about this was just filmed so well. Joe, I, I the point of view shot, I loved it. It kind of reminded me. It's different. It kind of reminded me of like watching the destruction and uh, of the f- like the first person point of view, the camera uh, point of view of like watching the destruction in Cloverfield. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was impressed by the, the POV shot from the back of the truck. Um, you're just basically watching everything like through Sarah's eyes and yeah. her head's on a swivel. We're just watching like out of every window, there's something fucked up going on. Um, they make it to the town and, um, they get there. The, the, the streets are crowded. Cops are just going through the streets. People are flooding the streets. They've got to get off this road. They start backing up. And then Sarah notices that there's this huge plane getting ready to crash. And that, like, the effects on that were insane. It looked so good. I had to go back and rewind it and watch it again. It was that well done. Um, that whole backseat scene is it's like again beat for beat except for a few of the cars and where what side they come from etc from the game you control sarah's point of view so you can look out the windows turn your perspective when everything's going to hell in the town you're still sitting in the back seat and that's how you actually you choose what you're looking at but it is again that scene that whole sequence is dead on from the game wow that's awesome jumbo jet crashes that crash causes their truck to basically flip and um, the characters wake up. Uh, Sarah's been injured. And uh, at this point, I think is it at this point they're getting out of the truck and then like a sheriff's a sheriff's vehicle smashes into their truck and then blocks Joel and Sarah in an alleyway as the fire is like it, – it's like engulfing the vehicles. And so Tommy's on the other side and can't get to him. Yeah, and Joel yells that he'll meet him on the other side around. Yeah, uh, meet at the river. And Oh, uh, man. And then, yeah, uh, Sarah's uh, ankle is injured, so she can't walk. And so Joel picks her up and says, you don't look at anything but me. And, and he takes off running with her. Mm-hmm. And they're being chased by someone who's infected. Oh, when they come around that corner and they just see bodies on the ground everywhere and almost everybody has got an infected person hunched over him feeding. And then that one person pops his head up like a like a like a fucking prairie dog or something or a meerkat. And it's like, oh, shit, they've been spotted. And then that chase that ensues was pulse pounding going Mm -hmm. through that through that building and then out the back and. You can tell it's good horror. Like for me, I could tell it's good horror when I'm watching Joel as he's watching, you know, them feed. I'm saying out loud, you can't stand around and watch this. No, no. You Move. have to like Homer and disappear back into that hedge. Yes. <laughs> Stop. What are you what are you watching for? I know this is bizarre. You should not be seeing this, but get out of there. And then, of course, you know, one of the one of them pops their heads up and, you know, it's like you're next. It's like, oh, God. And then that chase ensues. Oh, God, it was tense. It was tense. It was so tense. There were so many close calls with it. And, and once again, you see one of these infected people running with zero disregard for their own bodily well-being and safety. 
you know, crashing into shit, tripping over stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. Well, <laughs> Joel and Sarah, he's carrying her. They end up, um, uh, running, uh, running away from this zombie who ends up getting shot by a soldier. We find out it's a soldier. And then at that point, the soldier starts to tell him, you know, back up. He's like, we're not infected. We're not sick. Uh, and then he starts getting orders and we can't hear what they're saying on the other end, but we know by that third, yes, sir, we know that he's basically been giving like order 66 to execute, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh huh. And the soldier's like, repeat, repeat that order. Like, yeah. you can't believe what he's being told. Yeah, Joel, uh, basically like dives down kind of like a dives down a little hill, right? And, after after some gunfire and uh we don't know in that moment that Sarah's been shot. Um but um Tommy Tommy thankfully shows up, shoots a soldier in the head, which is kind of a fucked up moment. Like this guy has to shoot like one of his fellow soldiers in the head. Like it's like this guy was he's a veteran, but you know, he's gonna protect mm-hmm. his family. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, um we find out Sarah's getting shot and this was so hard to watch. Watch it's just it. the unfairness of it, right? I mean, uh-huh. if she hadn't injured her ankle, he wouldn't be holding her. He would have taken the bullet, not her. It's kind of like you've seen like all of her actions. They showed even just in this pilot. She was like, she was like the last of us, right? Like she is the like last bit of like good humanity. And like the last person we see make just like very nice decisions as a good person. And everything else we're going to see from now on is just like savage shit. And so it's just like this show is not going to pull any punches. And that is just this is a big testament to that. This scene like emotionally broke me. Like I I cried so hard (laughs) at this scene. Like it it absolutely worked for me. It was so heartbreaking. Like I almost feel like if when it comes to rewatch this at some point, I'm going to have to like skip ahead 15 seconds and go past this point. Like I'm aware of what happens. I don't need to be broken again, but it's such an important scene though. This is like, what's this is like when yeah, we, it gives when, him his motivation for exactly. why he is the way he is later. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And just, just that moment where it's like, you know, come on baby girl. And, and he's trying to put up, uh, trying to get her, pick her up and he's getting ready to take her. And then he looks over at Tommy for his help. And Tommy just like, he knows. He knows she's yeah. passed. Oh, and that was the tragic part that he was actually looking at Tommy when Sarah had her last breath. He he didn't actually see his child die. Yeah. Even though she died in 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 his arms. Oh, it's so tragic. Yeah. Yep. Uh episode cuts to black and we jump 20 years later. It's uh, we're in Boston in 2023 now, and humanity has created these uh, quarantine zones. Um, Boston is run by FEDRA, the Federal Disaster Response Agency. Um, they rules are different here. It's uh, they don't follow the U.S. Constitution. There's martial law. Um, we see that there are curfew hours. Uh, freedoms have been stripped. There are also, we see public executions if you break the laws. Um, but that part hit me. I was like, we're killing people for unauthorized exits. Like, this is 
not a good future. Oh, <laughs> I right. I mean, and it's obviously not, but just that that one thing like really like hit home for me how um like how much control the regular people have given up in order to live in a quote unquote, you know, safe place, a quarantined zone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing about it that's so crazy to me, too, is that human population worldwide is bottlenecked. There's not very many people left. And there's so many groups of people out there that are just wantingly killing the human mm-hmm. beings that are left. It's like, no, humans are now a... I don't, I don't know if we want to call them a precious resource, but it's like on par with that. There's not a very many commodity. of them left. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to go and fucking start killing these people. Oh, it's, it's so brutal, but it's also Especially- part of it is it's like the way they have to live. Because if, if, if one person fucks up the security mm-hmm. bubble and let's, let's, you know, some of these infected people in everything bad but could happen. So it's, it's like, it's the harsh reality of this world in a way. It seems like there's not even a waiting period between getting a bit, I guess. It, I don't getting tendrilled and um, testing positive for being infected on their little device. So it's like if people sneak out when they come back in and they're not infected, I feel like we should just ground them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, do something. Send like send some to like put them on the shit duty. But I guess because there's so few resources, there's nothing new. There's not even plastic baggies. So I guess on the other hand, they're like, well, if you can't follow the rules, we don't need to spend resources on you, which is also like it's fucked up that I've even thought of that. (laughs) Well, yeah, because it's like if you're not going to follow this rule, what other rules are you going to disregard that could potentially risk the the safety Mm -hmm. and security of this quarantine zone? Yeah, they really have to impress upon people how important it is to maintain the quarantine. Yeah, it's almost like just the way that they're coming at it. But I mean, they're also coming at it from the view of a a fascist, you know, military dictatorship that that it's it's our rules or it's the highway and the highway is going to be you hanging from a rope in the town square in front of Paul Revere's house. I think about how little amount of food there is, right? And resources, all of that. Like, there's not a lot of people, but like the research 20 years later, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure they're not farming. I'm sure it is like so finite now and scrap, like scavenging at this point. Like, that, again, that brings out like the feral nature of what we're going to see in a lot of people. Well, you look at, I mean, you look at Boston and it's just being overrun by like vegetation, like, Leaves are, you know, leaves and trees are growing into buildings and you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's very, it's, it looks super post-apocalyptic. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, And like the buildings themselves even got like fungus on them. Like it, it it put me in mind of that Robert Kirkland comic Oblivion. Oh, Kirkman. Kirkman. You should say Kirkland. It's Kirkland's in the mall. Um, Robert Kirkman book Oblivion where, this this chunk of this alternate reality gets replaced into an American city and it's all very fungus based. And so it immediately made me think of that. Yeah. Yeah. We we get this child who um, uh, is walking and you could tell like the, the, the kid is wearing shoes that are too big. You know, it's like you just you wear what you can find. You know, it's 
And oh, and they're held together with packing tape. Yeah. And they find the kid, they bring him in, and they are, you know, promising, you know, like, you know, we've got you tied up because we don't want you to fall out of the chair. And they're promising food, toys, and medicine. And they do the test on the kid. And I had no idea what red hmm. meant. I know. I had no idea what red meant. And so I'm thinking, like, okay, they they perform this test and, like, this kid's going to be a part, you know, of their – of this quarantine zone. Um, I had no idea that later on we'd be seeing Joel tossing the kid's body into a fire pit of other people that have been infected and just burning the bodies. So they gave – the kid an injection of what we thought was medicine but it was actually something that was going to kill the child yeah they euthanized <sighs> him right on the spot yeah yeah they that was one so thing. kind to that child mm -hmm. which is yeah. i'm happy that they were especially because i don't necessarily have a better solution to this it's just so heartbreaking to watch yeah, I was watching this with my wife and like when this came up, I definitely like, hid my face because I, I knew what it meant, but she didn't. So I got the scene. She had that genuine reaction of like, wait, 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 what? But I didn't say anything because I'm, I don't want her to know like, oh, no, that kid's a don that kid's done. So the moment you look at the back of the truck with the bodies and you see the shoes. That's when, you know, yeah, yeah, because it was those very identifiable shoes with the the tape on them. And also, you know, the last scene that we had seen Joel holding a child, he was absolutely emotional, <gasps> distraught, broken. And now you see him and his, his face is just devoid of any emotion. Like 20 years of this has broken his spirit in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And it it seems a little bit like he's he's the one who picks up that child because the person that he's working with can't. Yeah. She says to him, I, I can't do this. And like, he's the one. I mean, I just have to assume that he's completely emotionally shut off. Like he's doing in a way like he's doing the worst of the like emotional labor for the people that he's around because he's the one willing to throw a child into the fire. Cause the worst thing has already happened to him. Like there's no worse memories for him to have at this point. Yeah. Yeah. His, his heart has already been stolen from him at this point. Uh, there's, we see signs on the wall and it's talking about the infection. And uh, so now they, they know how the, you know, how quickly the, the fungus spreads depending on where you're injured, where you get your wound. They said with, uh, it says on the, on the wall, with a wound on the leg or foot, it will result in a full infection in 12 to 24 hours, uh, one in the torso or arm, two to eight hours, and then one on the neck, face, or head. You're looking at five to 15 minutes. Ugh. So. That's crazy yeah uh within the city if we, somebody gets my foot i'm just giving them my face like i want to be done with this <laughs> i am not waiting a day <laughs> i'm chopping my foot off i'm going full herschel from the walking dead chopping my foot off That's, no, I, i'm just immediately gonna suck start a pistol myself <laughs> joe <laughs> start a pistol I'm sorry, I laughed. jesus christ joe <laughs> I don't know. Give yourself the Kurt Cobain treatment. Put your toe. Oh, in Joe, come on, <laughs> Joe. You're not making it better, buddy. 
<laughs> we all agree it would be very bad. <laughs> uh, I wasn't trying to make it better. <laughs> oh, man. Um, we see Joel in the city now, and um, people are – he's watching the execution. He sees, uh, he sees one of the Federal soldiers off to the side. We know that he knows this guy. He goes over to him, and we see – Basically, we see him doing a deal here, and there's there's what we have uh, what they have uh, are ration cards, which is kind of like their their currency that they use they they use that in exchange for um, food or supplies. But he's actually inside inside this. They're also trading contraband as currency. So there's like a separate whole like it's almost like the um. The dark net where they're doing, where they're, where they're selling contraband as currency. Like, and this is something that you see happening in prison. So basically, I felt like everyone who has decided to live in this quarantine zone under Fedra's laws, it's basically a prison. Oh, yeah. I hadn't looked oh, at it sure. that way, and that's totally accurate. And we've got Joel here trading drugs to the soldier for ration cards. And so, um, hand rolled cigarettes and hand rolled cigarettes. Yeah. He was five short. So he gave him the hand rolled cigarettes. And, um, the Federal soldier at one point tells Joel that, you know, the fireflies are causing trouble at night and he'd be uh, safer staying off the streets. Um, and yeah, they're just going to be shooting people, and they got to work in extra shifts. We're going to be tired. Easy for mistakes to happen. Well, th- th- this is the first mention of fireflies, and we and like at this point, I didn't know who fireflies were, mm-hmm. and I the fireflies are a group of 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 people who are wanting to basically restore freedom and fight against Fedra, and they also are looking to find a cure for the outbreak, and uh, their creed, and we see this spray painted throughout. Uh, the city, it's when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. And um, we also saw that la- – we also see it later when we first meet Ellie, but it's only the first part. It says when you're lost in the darkness. Um, but uh, that's that's basically their motto. Um, we get introduced to Tess and we see her – What's that? She does. This is a badass introduction. Oh, I like her. She's she's awesome. Um, She's she's a good talker. Um, She's also I think she's just as resourceful as Joel. Maybe even more so, because I feel like she has the upper hand on him. Like she's kind of keeping him in check. She knows how to, um, you know. She knows how to tell him things to get the results she wants. Everybody mm-hmm. knew that Joel was going to harm the people that harmed her, but she was able to, you know, funnel that response into like a positive for them rather than him just flipping his shit. <laughs> well, she, yeah, she, she's, she can steer it in the direction that she wants it to go. Well, she tells Robbie flat out, like when Robbie's got her in the chair, she's like, you know, I can handle Joel. 
Mm-hmm. He answers to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just think they're both like, – they're very resourceful at getting what they want. They're finding ways of getting what they want. And I think that, you know, just like Joel is making deals on the side with this soldier, you know, she's able to later find out where Robbie is by, you know, giving away rations to someone. And so it's – I think they're, they're – I think, like, you found – a relationship maybe at first that was out of convenience because they're both really good at surviving and they're both very resourceful. But I think through that, they've come to like appreciate each other and maybe even love each other. I don't know if there's any love. I know that there's affection, but I don't know. If, I don't know how strong their bond is, to be honest with you. Well, it, they have the same, uh, not the same emotional, but they have the same type of like partnership as we saw Sarah and Joel have where they're, they're living together. They're, you know, quote unquote doing life together. Um, but now that Joel's, you know, heart is taken, like we said earlier, like he, it's, it's just utilitarian. It seems, you know, I'm sure they hook up sometimes, but yeah, that was <laughs> it my doesn't seem romantic, well. but I bet they have sex. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If one or the other's got the itch to scratch and the other's accommodating, that's where it's happening. <laughs> I think that's a pretty fair like characterization. <laughs> I I loved how when we're introduced to her, she's the one that's beat up and tied to a chair. Yeah. But the a guy on the other side of her is terrified of her. Right. And and mm-hmm. you know, maybe more so terrified of Joel and and apologizing to her. And and she's just trying to convince him that, yeah, I'll be able to handle this. Just let me out of here so I can go and drink alcohol until my face stops hurting. And she even says, like, you sold something to me, sold it again and spent my money. Like, do you think I haven't done that? Like, it's it's not fine to her because she wants what she paid for. But she's on equal footing with him. He's. You know, he's scared of her, but she's like, I've been in your position. You can let me go. <laughs> like, I've also done this. Yeah, there, she's uh, she wanted to get the car battery. Um, we find out later that Joel needs the car battery to um, go out and get a truck going and find go his, after his brother, go after his brother. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, I thought that this was a really cool interaction with her and Robbie. And I think it set her character up really well. Um and Robbie is worried that when Joel finds out that, you know, a couple of his guys, you know, roughed her up, that he's going to go after them because Joel has like Joel has this reputation of someone that you fear. Like, you don't want to cross this guy. You don't want to fuck with him. Because he doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Because he's the sort of guy that would like absolutely beat somebody to death with his bare fists. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. In in the next scene, it, there. is the next scene where we meet Ellie. Um. Yes. Yeah. The next scene is where we see Ellie. So basically, like an explosion goes off outside of the room that they're in, and next thing you know, uh, we've got uh, Tess out on the street. Fireflies are attacking Fedra soldiers, and. At that moment, Tess is like, she's got to make a decision here. And so she just throws her hands up and she's trying to let them know, like, I'm not a firefly. I'm not. A, and they they still rough her up and then throw her into they throw her into like a prison. Correct. Yes. I yeah. was worried about the, about her at that point, too. You know, especially not having any knowledge of the game or knowing what's going to happen. I'd previously just seen these people hanging people in a town square. So I was like, oh, no, what's going to happen to Tess here? 
Right. Yeah. Oh, it, oh she's a firefly. I take her out. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you never know. Um, and then we get our scene. We get our first scene with Ellie. Um, and I, yeah, I, me not being familiar with the game, I was confused at this. Billy, what did you, I want to know what you thought about this scene with Ellie. I, I think it was I very much in the spirit of the game. I thought that she comes off as defiant and she, the attitude comes in right away. She's quick witted and you can automatically see. And I think Pedro Pascal did a great job with his performance. He's taken back. He, you can see that he instantly is thinking about Sarah and the similarities and they're smart and the age and, you know, just, you, you can't well, he's not. not he's not meeting her at this point. This is the point where she's in that room and she's uh, chained up and she kicks her food tray back to the oh, lady. Oh, OK. She has her Dante moment. I'm not even supposed to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, just even in, res- in respect to that, then just like characterizing her like I loved how they did this. It does, again, reflect who she is as a character. It's a great opening. I think it's a kind of a badass opening scene. I loved it. So, again, I think they characterize it very similarly to the game. I like they're like, you know, having her go through like tests and things like that. Um, just, I guess, to make sure that her mind is still there and she's not infected. And they're asking her to, you know, count to 10 and slowly and she gets eight. Fuck you. I thought that that was just great. <laughs> yep, she yeah, does do that in the game. Ball. No, they don't show that part. You get introduced to her a little bit differently, more her like kind of just like naturally. But again. Very similarly. And then um, Joel, we get a scene of Joel uh, visiting a man who is like um, he, he's got radio contact with uh, members of the quarantine zones uh, of other uh, residents. Is it th- like other residents family outside of the quarantine zone that he's passing messages back and forth with? Yeah, something like that. He's operating a ham radio, and it's it's the only means of speaking to anybody outside the quarantine zone. Yeah, and we this, and then we find out from him that Tommy's gone silent, and he's in Wyoming, and he hasn't sent a message in three weeks. And this is where Joel needs that battery to go out and look for him to put in the truck. And um, he tells Joel, like, you know, Joel's saying, "I'm I'm going to leave. I'm going to find him." you can't be for certain that he's safe. And he says there are worse things than infected out there. There are raiders, there are slavers. So outside of the quarantine zone, you think it's bad in the quarantine zone. I think it's about to get worse outside of the quarantine zone. Oh, for sure. That's where the worst elements of humanity, like there's Fedra and fireflies don't have the only safe zones out there. There's also safe zones of people who are doing being able to make things safe by really exploiting the hell out of people. Have you guys seen the Bad Batch? Not the Star Wars show. The movie? No. Got Jason Momoa in it. It's like about um, a post-apocalypse. Someone finds a community and it turns out they're cannibals. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of shit. There's probably fucking cannibals out there, too. Yep, that's exactly what I thought. First thought. <laughs> it's kind of like... Um how i can maybe make a good illusion what it's similar to is like that vigo mortensen movie like the road that's like a post-apocalyptic it's like him and his kid and people are just straight savages and marauders it's very like similar to that it's based off that 
super depressing Cormac McCarthy book. <laughs> I don't know what to expect out there. I, I part of me is thinking like it could just go like full Mad Max <laughs> out there, you know? Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, yeah. it is an absolute lawless zone. Oh man, that's that's the scariest part of like these post-apocalyptic stories to me. It's it's not the it's not the zombies that are the worst thing. It's the worst parts of humanity that have been. They, they're not restrained by the restrictions of law and order anymore. And so they're making their own shit up and they're absolute psychos. So, ugh, Billy, it's, it's fucking scary. Billy, I got a question for you because you yeah. have more experience with the character of Joel <clears throat> and the fandom. Do fans compare Joel with Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead? I don't really see like them compare him, compare the two. I mean, to be fair, you spend way more time with Rick Grimes than you do, Joel. I mean, I think for myself being a fan of both, like there's some definite similarities there, uh, but it's not like a common thing, I think, put out there. I mean, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't really seen that discourse out there a ton. I was just well, curious, yeah. And also Joel and and Rick are so far apart because we're seeing Rick, right, d- dealing with this at the beginning of it and then going into it as well, but – we get this time jump with Joel where it's like, what would Rick be like 20 years after the event? Mm -hmm. Would, would he be far more cut off from his humanity? Because Rick really, at least from, from what I read of the comics, I read the the first hundred issues of it and Rick did a very good job of trying to maintain a sense of decency through all of that. And I I don't know what sort of twists and turns his character takes after that, but, but it, it felt like he's far more in touch with, with uh, his empathetic side than Joel is at this point. We get uh, Tess back with Joel now, and she's, she's saying, you know, she she tells him that Rob, Robbie, Robert has sold the battery to someone else and then goes on to say that, uh, you know, Robert is terrified of you. So if you march out of here, all Clint Eastwood, he's going to get wind of it and skip. <laughs> I need you to take a breath. Um, and then she's like, you know, yeah, I, I want, I want you to, she basically says like, trust me, I know you want to beat him up. I want to see that happen. And she says, we're going to hunt that motherfucker down. And I, I love the way she talks to him here. She's like, trust, listen, I know what you want. We're going to get what you want, but we got to go about it in a stealthful way. We just can't go out there with guns ablazing and scare him off. He'll skip town. Absolutely. And and I also liked how she starts it off saying that she was jumped by a couple teenagers and these kids that grew up during this time always go to resort to their fists first. And so she makes mention of how this new generation of kids doesn't have the same values of people who grew up and were raised in a world that was, you know, pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So she finds out where Robert is. She trades some ration cards. And uh, as, as she's doing that, Joel is waiting for her. And some guy, one of the, a firefly recruitment guy comes up <laughs> and he's like, you know, if you're feeling lost and before he can even finish what he's going to say here, Joel says, you tell me to look for the light and I'll break your jaw. And I was just like, I've always wanted to say that to the Mormons, <laughs> the Mormons that come to my house. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You could get a doorbell that just said that line. Oh, that's true. I could do I could do a ring doorbell <laughs> thing, right? Get a, get a decal for your screen door. Mormons will be punched in the face. 
<laughs> I'm thinking of scenes from Orgasmo now, Joe. <laughs> Dude, I need to rewatch that. I haven't seen that since I was in high school. Uh, it's such a funny movie. Ridiculous. Um, Tess and uh, Joel now are heading through the subway to to find Robert. And they, they know where he's at. And they find a marked door. They go in there. Um they see that uh, there's a oh there's a decomposed body of a man stuck to a wall, which was creepy as shit. Yeah, that was incredible and horrifying. Well, and they asked the question like, did he get infected down here, or did he get infected and come down here before anything else happened to him? They and mi- I don't like it doesn't matter, yeah. but I I I I would like to see how different people handle like the moment of infection oh i'm sure they're gonna be showing that what do you think billy Mm -hmm. they gotta be showing that no no they they definitely will um i'm sure we'll see that a lot in the season with you know again there's just so many moments even within the game that are even like not even throwaway characters per se but people you never even like unnamed characters and you come across and just kind of see these moments or interactions happen so I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see that stuff very soon. I think next week, and we'll get to the ending, I think they're going to start focusing on like the kind of evolved ones. But I think as we go, we'll definitely see those moments of how would you handle it like if that happened to you. They, they go up this ladder. The door is being blocked that they need to get through. And Joel smells gunpowder. They shine a light. On the floor, we see blood coming through the floor. She opens the door, and it's Robert, Robert's fucking dad. And then we get a look at the battery, which is totally no good. What Robert, just a piece of shit altogether, just mm-hmm. sold this dead battery twice. I mean, oh my, tr- well, tried to sell it the second time. And um, this is when we, this is when we get introduced to Marlene and Kim, and Marlene's like the head of the Fireflies. Yep. Uh, same actress from the game, actually. So she is from the game. That's yep. incredible that, that that they cast her. And, you know, because so many times you get these excellent voice actors in and you wonder, like, how, how like, how, you wonder, like, how would, is it Ashley Eckstein that does Ahsoka Tana? It's like, how would she have done in live action? Because as a voice actor, she was incredible. And to actually see this voice actor get the opportunity to, to play it in live action also i think that that's really special and for sure i i probably i think i missed this we get a i think this probably happened this happened earlier it was a conversation between ellie and marlene yes um are are you talking about where ellie goes in and tosses her the backpack and then uh tells her that she's special and and even though Ellie had been put in this Fedra school that eventually yeah. turns these kids into soldiers, Marlene was the one who put her there to keep her safe. And then she tells Ellie that she's special and they're going to be moving her out of there. But they don't let us, the viewer, know what's going on with it. Well, she mentions Riley. Oh, yeah. Riley. Billy, is is that something you know from the games? Otherwise, it's something that I picked up from a yeah from from my research before this. Yeah, so Riley is a character that like is cast for the show, so they will show. But well, they like, showed her. Happen. They showed her in the uh, the clips for in the coming season. Yeah. So in the Last of Us game, she actually is in a 
DLC content that comes, um, and it's actually kind of like a prequel to the events of this game. And that, so like, yeah, so they're just somebody who is relevant in the kind of like the mythos, but directly in the first game actually doesn't appear unless you play like the DLC. And we'll be able to see that relationship and what happened there. So that'll be interesting when we get to that episode. Sounds like. Yeah, because Ellie tells Marlene that the Fireflies are terrorists. And she says, is Riley, was Riley a terrorist? Yes. And, and so we know that there's some sort of connection there. Right. Mm-hmm. We get this scene. It's, it's Tommy and Marlene talking. And they're talking about, like, you know, Tommy wants to know why she, why Marlene wanted the car battery. And she says to him that it was an, it was a more important reason than his. She talks about how Tommy is just one man and it's our business to know things. And Joel says to know things, you're the cause of it. You turned my own brother against me. My question was Tommy with Marlene, like, like were they a couple? Or was he just working with her? And you talked earlier about, Joe, how he needed some form of, like, hierarchy. I feel like the hierarchy that was before, it was Tommy and Joel. And the hierarchy changed. And it was Tommy and Marlene. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think that they were living there in this quarantine zone. And I don't think Tommy was liking the way that Fedra was running things. And then that's when he became a firefly and then started taking orders from Marlene. And I'm betting that Joel tried talking him out of it. And Tommy was like, no, I know what I'm doing and I'm set on doing this. So Tommy and Marlene, Tommy and Marlene weren't a couple. It was just a strictly like professional. That's that's just the way I was looking. That's that's how I took it. Yeah. Yeah. There was nothing to suggest it was a, a, a romantic relationship. It was more of he he's he decided to be a soldier for them and i think that's what took him out of the quarantine zone and took him to wyoming as well yeah and i just i'm interested in like what this rift really looks like between joel and tommy because he says he turns tommy against him but like joel is obviously still keeping up with tommy and he's going to go out west to go find him so it doesn't seem like an ideological difference between them would ruin their relationship from like Joel's perspective. So I'm just really curious, like, was it something Joel did that Tommy couldn't hang with anymore? Or uh, was Joel like working against Firefly in some capacity? Maybe it's just like maybe Joel just gave up. I mean, we see the guy just he's doing what, you know, we know he sneaks out, but we also see him like working for rations and mm-hmm. and maybe Joel was just like, this shit's fucked up. The way they run things are fucked up. I, I I've got to fight against this. I got to be he's he's he was in the military. Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he's choosing a side to fight mm-hmm. for. I don't know. And it would be hard to argue, I think, against Firefly. I, I agree. I agree with you. They're hanging people. Yeah. Well, I don't know how they killed them. I just projected that. But Fedra's killing people. <laughs> it's it's no. like it's like Star Wars, the, the Empire, and the rebel and the Dude, and the rebels. You just took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Firefly is the rebellion. Fedra is is the Empire. I'm like I'm definitely as I was watching this episode, like 
they first make it out that the fireflies are like, they're bad. They're the bad influence. They're, and I was like, as the episode went on and I learned more about Marlene and the fireflies and I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm on their side. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're fighting against a fascist military, uh, tyrannical government. They, out of the whole hanging people in the city square, that's that's just some dark shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people just going Real about shit. it like, oh, this is this is this afternoon's entertainment. Let's watch them hang the criminals. Yeah, you'd really like to think that, like, no matter how society as we know it ends, we would not revert back to something like that. And it's just like we have no way to know. And this TV show is not promising. <laughs> I, I think it's realistic, right? I know it's scary. So it absolutely is. I mean, I think mm -hmm. it doesn't take much of a breakdown in society to make people go pretty feral. So there's uh, Marlene and Kim were going to take Ellie on this mission to get her to a hideout. And Marlene's been shot. And Kim's like, I'll do it. And she's like, you don't even have an ear. Like <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> I was hoping that they would cut back to Kim again, and Kim was Kim would just look at her and say quietly, "I can wear a hat," <laughs> but it didn't you can't even happen. Wear sunglasses anymore? What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or they cut back to Kim, and she goes, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> could you repeat? Could you say that in the good ear? let me me turn my head say that again (laughs) but yeah she's gonna pass on the mission to get uh ellie to the hideout she's gonna pass it on to uh joel and tess here and um i mean i i i was i was excited like now we're getting the two characters meeting you and you can tell Ellie absolutely hates Tommy from the moment he, you know, kicks the gun out of her hand, the the knife out of her hand. And and she's just glaring at him the whole time, the whole time. She's just seething with anger that this, you know, that she's that this guy is basically, um, you know, in control of this situation. She hated oh, it. And, yeah. And when she pops out that doorway, he immediately catches her and just ragdolls her. Yeah. And then it's like seemingly toying with her. With the knife, like, oh, you're going to go for it? Now I'm going to move it with my foot again. <laughs> um, let's see. Sorry, I've, my cat was walking on my mixer there. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I'm sleeping right here. I apologize. So I guess we can get to the point where um, they are getting getting ready to leave. There, is it the – is it a – are we at the point where Joel and Tess are at – oh, they're not at the height. Are they at the hideout? You heard? I'm sorry, guys. Let me pause. They go back. All right. Okay, yeah. So we're at this part now where they take Ellie uh, – Joel and Tess take Ellie back to their apartment, and they, they toss her inside so they can discuss what's going on outside in the hallway. And while Ellie's in their, in their apartment, she goes over to the radio and starts flipping through this book and she finds this code mm-hmm. saying, you know, different decades and, and what it means. And she, she quickly cracks this code. And, and it's pretty funny because when Joel comes inside, he just settles down on the couch and tells her that they're just waiting. And, and she says that and then he falls asleep for a little bit 
And then when he wakes up, she says that the 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 radio came on. And what song is she say it is? Wake me up before uh, you go go. Yeah, <laughs> wake me up before you go go. And then he looks concerned, and she's like, "Ah, '80s means trouble." And so she, you know, shows right away that she cracked his code. And I love that because it harkens back to how smart Sarah was. And so it's just another way that she's similar to Joel's daughter, but in other ways that we'll soon see, very very dissimilar as well. Yeah, apparently, like '60s music meant nothing in. 70s meant new stock, and that's where he put 80s. He just put an X there, and she figured it out. <laughs> yeah, 80s is trouble. Bad things are happening. She did one of those, like, well, I didn't know for sure, but you just told me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. She scooby-dooed him. <laughs> so Tess comes back and basically says, we got to get the hell out of here. And then they make their way outside of the quarantine zone. And um, they're trying to avoid any of the federal soldiers. And they, of course, who do they run into? The same guard that Joel was selling pills to. And he pulls a gun on them, gets them on their knees, and starts to give them the infection test. And that's when we learn that, um, uh, well, Ellie stabs him right after he gives her the test. And then Joel stands between the soldier and Ellie He's got a gun on her. And then we get the flashback to 20 years prior when he lost Sarah. And in this moment, um, the flash of red happens on, on the, on, is, is it in this moment that we get the flash of red on the device? No, it's after. It's after. It's after Joel's art because they, they're like all there in shock. They're just like in shock. And Tess is like, um, hello. Ellie starts screaming. I'm not sick. This is three weeks old. Well, Joel, st- Joel steps in between and then he attacks the guy and just starts punching and brutally beating him to death. Yeah. Yeah. He punches the guy in the face about 37 times. Or so <laughs> comes away with like totally bloody fists an absolute crazed look on his face. And then the whole time, you see Ellie in the background watching with like a fascinated look on mm-hmm. her face. Like she's very, very happy with what she's seeing. Yeah. I think she's like, oh, this is a thing we can do. Yeah. Well, she's also like, seeing this is somebody. This? <laughs> yeah. This is somebody who just stepped in between me and certain death and then took out the threat with his bare hands. Like, has she ever had anybody in her life that is stuck up to her? Right. Stuck up for her to this mm-hmm. extent. Well, I mean, it's it, there definitely is like this. He's protecting her. And I, he, I don't in this moment with the flashback, he's not even thinking about I think it. he's thinking about that moment and doing it over again. Mm-hmm. Like with, yeah, when he exactly. lost Sarah. This is his second chance. Yeah. To, to do it differently. And, and in that moment, um, I think. I think it was in the behind the scenes where the showrunner was talking about this scene where he said in this moment, Joel was activated like much in the mm-hmm. same way. Yeah. That he affected said that our, about um, like Ellie too, like something is growing within them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. For each other. And, and for, for better or worse, like it might actually kind of bring out the worst in both of them, this pairing, but it's definitely going to be unstoppable. But I love the way he said, that Joel here is activated in this scene where when he sees the soldier threatening Ellie's life, 
it puts him back 20 years ago when he lost his daughter and he's able to do it differently now. And he immediately jumps forward, removes the threat with his bare hands. And and I love the way that the showrunner described it is he's activated much like the infected are, but it was by love mm. instead of this, this, you know, these spores or, or whatever the, 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 the cordyceps virus. It's, yeah. it's not that it's, it's the, the fact that all of a sudden he realizes oh my God, this is a young girl that I have to protect the way that I was not able to protect my daughter. And in that moment, I, I think that that Ellie kind of imprints on his psyche a little bit. And he's mm-hmm. like, this is now somebody that I have to protect and I am willing, absolutely willing to murder people with my bare hands to protect her. And earlier, as Marlene is talking to, uh, to Joel, Marlene basically says like, I know you're the kind of guy who can handle something like this. Mm -hmm. I know what you're capable of. And, you know, Ellie doesn't know what he's capable of. And now she's seen it and she she's fucking impressed. Yes, she's absolutely impressed. And and it stands in stark contrast to the way that Sarah reacted seeing him take out Nana Adler. Yeah. You know, she was she was horrified by what her father did. And she felt empathy for this woman who died. And Ellie is the exact opposite of that. Ellie is enthralled by what he's done and is not scared in the least by it. Billy, I want to get you in this conversation, man. What was uh, you're watching the scene? What's going through your head? No, I mean, you really did pick up on something there, Brides, like her, the brutality, not being something that she shies away from and kind of is almost like illuminating to her. That is going to be like a constant theme throughout. I think seeing, the savage nature of people and seeing all the situations that they're going to get thrown in. And some of them are brutal and some of them lead to them having to make choices that you don't think someone would have to make, especially someone that young. And, uh, it's again, it's just like, I, I really can't wait. I mean, I've obviously loved watching this and, and reviewing this with you guys. I can't wait for us to be able to get through the end of the season and then for you to be able to go back to this pilot and just see how many of like the themes and the nods to things that will come, we're laid out here in the pilot, so I definitely don't think it's something small that you guys are picking up. Early I just try to not first jump in first because I do know where some things go, so I don't want to understandable too much. Understandable, yeah. Earlier in the episode, there's a there's a scene where, and maybe I'm just stupid here. Um, there's a scene where Marlene hands Kim a note. Do we know what's on that note? I don't think so. I think it has something to do with what the plan for Ellie is. Yeah. Yeah, because Kim immediately changes her tune because she had been questioning why are we attacking all these places at random? Why do we have this girl locked up in this other room? And Marlene sets her straight. That line reading is so good. I want you to follow fucking orders. (laughs) Yeah, She sends everybody out of the room and then hands Kim this piece of paper and and tells her, you know, we're not attacking at random. We're attacking mm. everywhere except for here because we're drawing Fedra's eyes away from this place because that girl is the most important thing. And we don't want any Fedra troops around here as we smuggle her out of the quarantine zone. And whatever's on that note, it makes Kim go from questioning to absolute understanding and loyalty in a heartbeat. That's the last time we see Kim's ear. <laughs> truth very true the last of her it should have been a, there should have been a in more in memoriam for kim's ear at the end of the episode so yeah say goodbye to your God, ear. Just you know not about Oakley's. joel's daughter definitely the ear 
<laughs> Shut up, Billy. <laughs> oh man. Um yeah, so uh they're leaving the quarantine zone and they uh, it shifts back to the radio and then we hear Depeche Mode's Never Let Me uh Never Let Me Down Again. Um that song came out in 1987. So that's bad. <laughs> we got bad news. Mm-hmm. And so um I'm looking for I mean that's where the episode ends. Um uh, I like so looking forward to the next episode and getting making our way through this season. I this is this is must watch TV on Sundays now. No, yes, without a doubt. Like HBO immediately has a hit on their hands. That final shot of the city at night, like with the the ruined buildings and and all like the giant mushroom, like it, it looked reminiscent of like the step mushrooms that you see growing off of dead trees out in the woods. Mm. Only it's coming off the sides of skyscrapers. And yeah. it's humongous. And oh wow, what 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 a, what an amazing premiere of television! Uh, these showrunners just knocked it out of the park, and I expected nothing less from the crew that um, that did Chernobyl because that show was just breathtaking as well. Oh, so and, good! Yeah, I mean, yeah, th- this is how you do a video game adaptation. You you keep the parts that absolutely work. You change only what needs to be changed to make it work for a television off, uh, audience, and you just maintain that that respect for the source material because the source material. In this case, from everything I've heard, is just fantastic. I mean, this is, I'm not the hugest gamer. I don't have a lot of free time in my life to devote to video games, but this is something that, that I think I might have to get on eBay and find like a PS4 copy of The Last of Us and give this a playthrough at some time because just this show's amazing, but. I feel like I need to get past this first season before I start a playthrough or or do it the way that Billy's doing it. And instead of keeping a little bit ahead, just hang a little bit back. (laughs) I know. And I'm so jelly, (laughs) jelly. I'm so jealous. (laughs) I love it. I'm so jealous of Billy's experience. I almost want to start watching like a playthrough up until the point where the episode ends because I do not play games and I don't have methods of playing games in my house. (laughs) But that's what YouTube's for. (laughs) I mean, exactly. I mean, there's plenty of playthroughs. Joe, there's a PS4 remaster, so there's definitely there's definitely going to be copies out there cheap that you can get. I mean, that's been out for a while, too. So Yeah, that's what I figured. I mean, even with the popularity of it right now, you'd think that they'd even maybe have it on sale on the PlayStation Store or something. I just haven't I haven't gotten into it yet. Oh, before. no, they're shrewd as shit. They definitely don't have it like on sale. <laughs> they have it like full price because they know people are going on there and going to download it. So. That's yeah, but point. there's would, definitely I would check the eBay route. I think you'll you'll be fine. Yeah, I was forgetting the basics of supply and demand there. Demand is gonna drive up the, <laughs> even if it's digital, they're like, nah, nah. They're shrewd as shit. I love that. I Billy, you know, you talked about how I think that I think why this show's so good is Billy, you talked about like how good the game itself is with the story. I think, you know, we're kind of seeing that story here on the screen and we've got two great creators involved in this um, makes me wonder like what other games with great stories could they adapt? And it's like, I have they? I know there's been talk in the past about like a Bioshock movie. Like, why is that not happening? Like maybe, or a series, like maybe this, maybe this will jumpstart like a Bioshock 
live action series or movie or something because i i know people just rave about the story in bioshock bioshock is one of my favorite game experiences story-wise ever i played that when it came out and then i was in high school when that came out i think like 2007 maybe and yeah it has i think it i think a movie i think a movie would be good because the game there's a lot of wandering and stuff in the game but they could definitely tell a solid two hour two and a half hour story put the budget into it I mean, obviously, we've we've covered TV shows like Lord of the Rings. You can have the budget with a show, but I think it could be a really opulent, cool experience as well. I, I think a film would be awesome. Bioshock's awesome. I've always said like um, Metal Gear Solid mm. was yes, really awesome. That'd be yeah. incredible. Like that would be. I mean, that's that Oscar Isaac stuff's been floating forever. I, I do think that would be one that could fit with the cool stylized action espionage type thing. Yeah, it's a shame that uh, Halo got turned into that series. <laughs> I <laughs> Naked like that show. <laughs> no, Melissa, I also enjoyed the show, but I also know that they had it as a movie multiple times. They were trying to come out with it as a movie, and they had insane castings and some amazing directors attached previously. And for as much as I did like the show... um, I don't I think it I think the effects towards the end of the season you could just tell that they ran out of money. Yep. <laughs> and so it was hard at times, you know, it, it's it it wasn't what I wanted out of a Halo show. Um I enjoyed it for what it was, but it wasn't what I wanted. Um Halo is the last video game that I played religiously. I was loved the first game. Loved the second game, and I think I bought a, the Xbox 360 just for Halo Three. Like I didn't care <laughs> nice, if I, sure. I didn't buy, I didn't care if I bought another game, Billy. It was like I got to play Halo Three. I love Halo. I love the Halo series. Sitting back on my shelf right now, bro, I have the original Xbox Halo Two strategy guide. There you go, man. Shelf behind me. Yeah, oh, Billy, funny. I wish I would have kept all my video game guides from when I was a kid. I had Game Pro from issue one. Electronic. Oh, ga- so, you're, you're making me sick, right? I now. had oh, Electronic so Gaming sorry. monthly from issue one when I was a kid. <sighs> I had them all. Yeah, I had them all. I had the yeah Nintendo Power, EGM, Game Pro. I had Game Pro number one, and then and then the fungus came. Oh man, <laughs> I wish I had all my video game magazines back. I, I you can there's actually a website where you can read all the Nintendo Power issues digitally. They've yep. got screenshots of them, and I went back and was looking <laughs> through them, and I was just like, oh my gosh. What a blast from the past because, like, I would literally stare at those books for hours. Like, oh, my gosh, you're going to tell me how to beat, you know, uh, Iron Sword 2? Oh, my God, I can't wait. You know, Those so. are the only magazine subscriptions I ever had as, like, a young kid. I had Game Pro and, like, Electronic Gaming Monthly. And, like, those yeah. were the ones where I filled out the card and, like, got at school and did it during, like, the magazine sales. And I used to freak out when they showed up, man. So I feel you. Same thing, like cover to cover. I was the first kid in my school to get Super Mario Brothers 3. And I showed up the next day at school with, like, the the booklet that came with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is back when video games had booklets that came with them. Oh my god. Oh guys, we gotta end this one. I am so happy that you guys are gonna be joining me every week for this show. Um Melissa, where can people find you? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow or co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Billy, where can people find you, man? Um, you can find us on YouTube. It's the Reality Guys. And as far as social media, you can search the Reality Guys or myself, Billy Blinks. You'll find me basically on any social media platform. Joe, where can people find us? Hey, you can find us on Pop Culture Leftovers. Every week we are rating and reviewing new TV shows and discussing pop culture news. We have a heavy focus on Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. So, yeah, check us out, Pop Culture Leftovers. These episodes will be on that feed or on this feed if you're listening to it on the separate feed. Um, so, yeah, we will see you next week with episode two. Uh, I think, does IMDb have it at about 55 minutes? That's what I recall. I've heard that only one and three are longer than like your regular episode of Pursuit Television. So I would assume like 50, 55. Yeah, I wanted to get screeners for this one, but unfortunately they were really stingy with the screeners. So we'll we'll be recording when we can. So um, thank you guys so much and we will see you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.